Welcome to Northern Gold, a football podcast from the Evening Express and Pressing Journal. I'm Ryan Crail. We're down on numbers today. Only Paul Fard and Andy Skinner joining me in our virtual studio. How are we, guys? Good, thanks, Ryan. This is all you need, Ryan. It's the two of us. Yes, it is. Um, obviously, this week has been all about who is going to be the next Aberdeen manager. Stephen Glass sacked on Sunday following the Scottish Cup defeat at Motherwell. The Dons played again in midweek. Barry Robson was in charge of an, an interim coaching team that took the Dons for that 1-1 draw. Ross County, they returned to action this weekend. They had a weekend off because they were um, no longer involved in the Scottish Cup. Travelling to Easter Road to take on Hibs this Saturday. Inverness in a similar boat. They get back to action as well this weekend. And we'll also have Cove, Peterhead and Elgin to discuss as always. But Aberdeen. So... First of all, we'll start with the names in the frame. For the manager's gig, I think it's pretty clear at this point, given that the Dons are apparently willing to pay the £250,000 of compensation it's going to take to get Jim Goodwin out of St Mirren, that St Mirren's manager is the prime candidate and the first choice for Dave Cormack and his task force that is responsible for appointing a new Aberdeen manager in my opinion of the names mentioned, the names I considered realistic targets at the start um, Goodwin was definitely uh, the one for me, a manager I would say that's very much still in the the upward part of his managerial career and the dawn seems a natural next step for him. I'm with you all the way an up and coming guy, experience of Scottish football and yes his star is still on the rise. Um, if you, let, let's play the, the compare and contrast game with, with Stephen Glass. He's, Jim Goodwin is five years younger than Stephen Glass at 40, but has six years of managerial experience under his belt, whereas this was Glass's first major assignment as a football manager. Goodwin's trajectory is one that's heading still in the right direction. If you look what is it, in, in his six years since being appointed player manager at Alloa, ironically where he replaced a certain Jack Ross, he led them to the playoff final in 2017 where they lost on penalties to Brecon. He came back the following year in 2018 and led them to victory over Dumbarton in the final to seal promotion and then kept them in the championship, a part-time team, remember, on the final day of the season thanks to a draw against Ayr. And that work that he did was what led to St Mirren coming calling to bring their former captain home to replace Oren Kearney, who had done a decent job and, and just kept St Mirren up, uh, I, I think. So when you look at what he then has done at St Mirren, which let's be honest is on a fraction of the budget that someone like Aberdeen can offer him, it's, it's pretty impressive. Ninth, seventh, and they're currently sixth with a game in hand, which if they win that'll take him up to fourth, and they just missed out in the top six on the last game before the split last year. So his, his team are hard to beat, he's got a good eye for a player, and I can see why Aberdeen would be interested in him. Yeah, I think this will be the first job by the looks of things that he, he gets before Jack Ross has already <laughs> had it. But uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at what happened at Alloa and what, what's happened with St Mirren, Alloa miss out in promotion, he has the resilience the next season to to achieve the promotion. St Mirren, also there was a heartbreak on the final day post-split two seasons ago. Um, 
or last season where they Aki's an injury time equalizer. Yeah. Finished seventh. Which I remember listening to a, a downcast Jim Goodwin on the radio on my way back from a game at Balmour, I think it was. Um but again this season, St. Mirren, it looks very much like their points per game is going to be up. Their it, it just seems like every year he has in charge of a team, that team seems to improve and St. Mirren are on course to finish in the top six and potentially even, you know, secure a European spot. This season, which, as you say, when you look at the Don's budget and the Don's currently languishing down near the bottom of the table, it, it shows you that he can really get the most out of his his players. Obviously, compared to, as we said, an upward tra- trajectory compared to the likes of Jack Ross and if we bring in people like Derek Adams and um, Neil Lennon, guys that have really had, you know, disappointments in their later management career, um, failures in their later management career. Goodwin doesn't really have one of those. And it should be said, given that Stephen Glass only had 11 months at the Dons, and we can get on to Stephen Glass's tenure in a minute, but who knows after a disappointing season, this season, whether given another season, Stephen Glass would have shown what Jim Goodwin has shown, which is an ability to come back the next year and sort of right the wrongs and do it better. There have been fantasy candidates, I'll label them that, <laughs> that Don's fans have been talking about. I say Don's fans, I think Charlie Nicholas was the one that floated Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer, which was hilarious. I think Joe Harper quipped to me this morning when we were talking about his column this week that Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer can probably afford to buy Aberdeen Football Club, given his career. I know he managed Molde, but like you tend not to go from managing Man United for a couple of years to managing teams like Aberdeen, Kettle Knutson as well if that's how you pronounce it, uh, from Bodo Glimt. Huge profile in recent times with their exploits in the Europa Conference League, knocking out Roma. He's led them from the bottom of the uh, Norwegian top flight to winning two league titles. To me, he is always going to be, his next managerial job is going to be one of the you know the big five leagues. He's got a burgeoning reputation. He'll kind of maybe follow that Graham Potter route where you do well in Scandinavia and then you end up somewhere like the Premier League. But again, that always seemed, uh, I've written nutsensical in my uh, <laughs> in my uh, notes, which I regret now that I've said it out loud. But yeah, I mean, these guys were never going to be the Don's manager. Where I know, I know that fans talk about ambition, and you know, if you don't ask, you don't get. But like, certain, like you know, you could ask any, you can ask anyone, but you've still got to have a degree of realism. It's a box ticking one. Come on, let, let, yeah. let's be sensible here. Aberdeen have asked the question, but I don't think the answer will come as a surprise to anyone that the man has said. I'm, I'm quite happy where I am, thanks. He was in the frame for the Norwich job back in November, I believe, um, and he's heading to a level, as you've said, Ryan, that's clearly above, with all due respect, what, what the Dons can offer him. Um, Aberdeen can say they asked the question. Fans can take solace from the fact the club should some ambition in this case and everyone can move on but let's be honest there's ambition and as you said realism the dons should have tried for newtson when they appointed glass if they're looking for that sort of candidate now it needs to be the next newtson the guy before he dismantles roma and makes everyone in europe sit up and take notice and that's (laughs) that's the hard part identifying that guy before he comes on the radar of the wider football circle I was laughing at a tweet. I think it was from at Fitba tweets. He does memes, uh, and a lot of them are Don's related on social media. But he tweeted uh, that a sort of pst, Dave Cormack rings Kel Nutson's mobile, lets it ring twice, and then hangs up, which um, which is what he was maybe suggesting the approach. 
was uh, obviously if Jim Goodwin comes in, he's going to have to do a lot of unpicking of the Dawn squad before the summer. Uh, results are needed to get away from any sort of hint of relegation trouble. It helped that they didn't lose to St. Johnson in midweek because they easily could have, but they drew 1-1 in the end, which but they, they still need results in the coming weeks, you feel. But a part of the job is also going to be assessing that squad in the final part of the campaign and deciding what needs to be done in the summer because it feels to me like another rebuild is very much on the cards. There's a lot of dead wood in the squad. For me, um, that aside, reflecting back on the glass era and, and what's gone wrong for him, I suppose I say that aside, but players underperformance probably a big part of what's gone wrong for Stephen Glass, but too rigid as well, maybe in this pursuit of attacking football above all else. I mean, at times it didn't look very attacking because of because of how badly the team are play have been playing. But um, yeah, more of a balance needed between maybe results driven um, approach and concept driven. I think was how Chris Crichton put it in his PNG fan view. There's someone else in the, our line of work. We'll give him a shout out, Michael Grant. I'm not sure if you saw his. He did a, a column uh, <laughs> the other day, and how he described Steve uh, Stephen Glass's Aberdeen was. All foreplay, but no action, and it's such a great <laughs> way of describing what we, what we watched. Yeah, lots of patient build up, but no payoff. <laughs> I mean, I, it's I also like synonymous Steve. with the other very similar <laughs> phrase that ends in a swear word that you can't. Oh, I won't can't say that. Use. Uh, that starts with all fart. <laughs> I liked Stephen Glass. I'll say that first. He, he never shirked a question, despite basically being under pressure since when early September, but. Clearly, there's there's been issues in this team all season, and and I think he's departing the club still not knowing what his best system or personnel actually is. Um, the supply of the forward line hasn't been good enough, and of the attacking players, the only one who's really stood out is Christian Ramirez. The team's had so many central midfielders, especially in the first half of the season, it was ridiculous. And Scott Brown and Lewis Ferguson have played every game more or less when fit. So why did you need all these guys if they're just sitting there taking up space on the bench every week? The insistence on playing out for the back hasn't suited either goalkeeper, and I think the confidence of both has been affected at points this season. And then you've got the defending on top of that, which, let's be honest, it's been grim. Five clean sheets, I think, so far all season for Aberdeen. That's horrific. Yeah, a lot of that's been... I suppose he has been helped, Glass, by the fact that a lot of the disastrous defending and goalkeeping hasn't necessarily been tactical. It's kind of just been indiv individual mistakes. A lot of the times, opponents have scored against Aberdeen um, in games without really having a lot of shots on goal. Maybe they have two shots on goal, but they, you know, they score two goals. Um but yeah, in terms of going forward, we've talked about it enough times this season. Um, just a lot of possession, a lot of passing around, but no real sort of potency, no real sort of... Every word feels wrong now, but no real penetration. <laughs> um, in terms of the players that are there at the moment, obviously the fans have been getting quite worked up and quite fearful um, about Christian Ramirez given that he was obviously a glasses player he's brought in. He's been a rip-roaring success up front. He's somehow scored as many goals as he has in, in this current Dons team and the way they've been playing. Um, but he's one that I suppose if, if a good one comes in, he needs to you know, he needs to make clear to him straight away that he's got a big future at the club and he sees him as a key man. He does, but he also needs to find somebody to help him out, <laughs> more importantly, because the big, the big man, to be fair to him, is 
it's it's bordering on miraculous how this guy has got 15 goals, not a penalty among them this season in this Aberdeen team. I mean, Joey Harper, we're coming back to Joey again. I, I spoke to him on Sunday for a reaction to Stephen Glass's departure, and, and he, he made that point. He When he played, he had a Drew Jarvie, a Steve Archibald. He had somebody to play off and, and, and do the work that made the space for him to do his job, which is put the ball in the back of the net. So for Ramirez to do it on his own is hugely impressive. Um, now, and fans are worried about Ramirez. I, I don't know. He's... In a different country, the guys who were a big part of the reason for him coming here have gone. So it's it's going to be very much up to him whether he sees his future still at Aberdeen in Scottish football or whether he wants to, to move on or, or go back to the States. But he is under contract, so we'll see, we'll see. But Aber- Aberdeen, <laughs> Aberdeen can ill afford to lose him, let me put it that way. Don't know if there'll be a new Aberdeen manager in place by Saturday's game. Another fun trip to Motherwell, the Dons this time in the league. They they had a ropey draw, I think it's safe to say, in midweek against St Johnston. They got a, a reasonably soft penalty, I'd say it probably was a penalty for me, but late on to, to level it at 1-1. Lewis Ferguson, I thought credit to him given the stick he's maybe been getting for performances and for having a go back at the fans when they were shouting at the players at Motherwell. Um, but he, he held his nerve to score from the spot and to be fair, he's got an incredible um, penalty scoring record but there really is in the next if, if depending on how long this interim period lasts before the new manager is appointed the, the onus is now on the players isn't it they're you know they've it's not just been Stephen Glass and his staff's fault the players have underperformed the season as we've talked about and they there's no real hiding place for them now is there over the whether it's the game this weekend if Goodwin isn't in place by then or another manager isn't in place by then um, or you know, if it's a bit more delayed, you know, games, the subsequent games after that, but they really need to turn it on now, don't they? Yeah, you're right. I mean, the Stephen Glass human shield has been removed. So now it's not about Barry Robson, it's about the players. It's about what they are doing in a park. And as we saw on Tuesday, I think confidence is a bit fragile. They're still trying to find their way, but it's it's Motherwell and you know what's coming. Um, what amazes me about this Aberdeen team this season is how easily out-muscled, almost bullied into submission they've been at times, especially away from home. And Motherwell have been the absolute best at it. They've played them home and away three times, won every game, and you'd have to say the Steelmen are favourites to make it four on Saturday. Aberdeen need to find something different that's going to get them a result at Fair Park because the manager is gone, but that atrocious... A wee record remains, and Aberdeen have got to change this record, as you've said. I mean, we saw Barry Robson make some changes on Tuesday, notably given Connor Barron his first start, and the young lad did well. I think we can all agree on that. But as part of me can't decide if it's credit to him or a damning indictment to the rest of the team that a 19-year-old is man of the match on his first start for the club. It's probably a bit of both. Yeah, I think Calvin Ramsey as well, he... Appeared to be. He obviously came back in the team, having been a bit a bit disappointing since the close of the January window and following injury. But he he, by all accounts, what Sean Wallace, our colleague, said was was pretty pretty impressive. Jack McKenzie maybe still you know still not quite a top form at left back on the other side. But yeah, this weekend, very interesting game given the events of the last week and the latest instalment of. The steel men against the digestive men, but 
Let's see how it goes. Next up, anyway, Ross County and their return to action in a week when they made a, what looks to be a pretty decent signing on paper. Right, Andy, Ross County, they go to Easter Road this weekend to play Hibs. Sean Maloney's struggling Hibs. He's another manager who is you know, under a bit of pressure. At the moment, it's a good time for County to be travelling down the road. I would say so, yeah. Um, I think looking at Hibs' last couple of home games, you know they've lost against St Mirren and Livingston, and I think that's caused real unrest among the Hibs fans. So there's an opportunity to, to go and you know, just put a, a further bit of frustration into into them from from the get go on Saturday. I think Hibs will have taken quite a lot from from the Scottish Cup victory they had against Arbroath at the weekend because that was one where a lot of people expected them to perhaps slip up, and um, especially so after you know Arbroath took the the lead early on. But no, our county will be kind of refreshed coming into this one. They've they've had a, a ten day break really, and I think that's allowed players to you know, step away from their, their training schedule a wee bit, which has been quite, you know, valuable for them, I'm sure, given that they've had such a, uh, you know, a relentless period of, of games. It's been kind of Wednesday, Saturday, all the way through since the the restart in January, pretty much. They're signing this week. Josh Sims has played in the Premier League, and not just once or twice, he's played in the Premier League a good few times for Southampton. He's got a league, an English League Cup Runners-up medal, having I think that was right at the start of his breakthrough with with Saints after coming through their youth academy. But as a winger, I think he played in wins over Arsenal and Liverpool during that campaign. You know, it's always a good sign with a player if you put their name in the shutter stock and you get multiple pages of you know Premier League photos of them. That's always a, a good a sign that they've got a bit of pedigree about them. Obviously, he has been out of contract at Southampton. Since the summer, he'd had quite a few loan spells in the sort of later part of his time at Southampton. But the reason he's been a free agent for so long and County have had to wait so long, and they have this, this is presumably the free agent that we're talking about during the January window is having lined up. But he has been, I think it's myocarditis, the heart condition, I think it's scar tissue in your heart. And um, he's got an inflammatory bowel disease as well. You can maybe keep me right. But he's obviously been struggling with those issues. He is... Now, Abel has been given the all-clear by doctors to return to the game, and he's decided to do that with Ross County. I suppose it's one where they'll have to be patient with him, but if, if this guy can get up to match fitness, I mean, this is a guy that I think got a Premier League assist on his debut against Everton, so there's clearly ability there. Yeah, um, and Malky Bakai has already kind of just tried to reason with the, the fans a wee bit and, uh, you know, maybe playing down the expectations that he's going to come in and hit the ground running straight away because, as you say, that that sort of situation is one that, you know, requires a lot of care um, as he kind of tries to make his way back in uh, senior football. He's been out of out of contract since the summer and I'm sure there's been a lot of work going on to uh, to get him to this point in the first place. But, yeah, it's, it's obviously a situation that still needs to be delicately managed. But... Um, I'm, I'm sure once he comes into the side, you, you know, it's funny talking about previous kind of big names or players that have got a, you know, a successful background coming up at Ross County. My, I always hark back to the, the Owen, Owen Coyle days when we had the likes of Chris Eagles and David and Gog coming in. 
and neither of them caught fire at all at, uh, at Dingwall. But th this one seems a bit different. Um, you know, it's a player that still will have that hunger to to go and try and rediscover that path that he was clearly on. Um, he's 24 years old, which, you know, by no means is he uh, a veteran, but he's certainly not a, a kid. So he's he's got, you know, a good uh, a good basis behind him. And I don't know if the, the you know, the heart situation as well might might be something that, you know, makes him appreciate the the opportunity that he's got in professional football that bit more. Um, no, it's it's certainly a, an intriguing one. And I think there might be a, a wee bit of succession planning in this as well, because, uh, yeah. you know, Ross County have two wingers currently who I wouldn't expect to be at the club next season. Joseph Hungbo is obviously on loan from Watford and Regan Charles Cook is the league's top scorer uh, and is out of contract. So the chances of him... Uh, not being noticed by uh, Jim bigger clubs <laughs> is pretty minimal. Or the president yeah. of the RCC fan club, Mr. Crail. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. You're, I noticed that in your 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 copy today about uh, from Malky McKay that he's on a he's on a long term deal, which is obviously if he can find the previous form as a real coup for County, because you know this is a player that's previously shown Premier League ability. So if he can get if he can, you know stoke up some Premier League interest in this time at County, you know. County might lose him, but they'll make a lot of money. That's clearly the the model that they're looking to go down. They've relied a bit too heavily on the loan market this season, but perhaps that's been out of necessity. What does seem to have come out of that is the fact that they've got a, a link with Southampton now, which didn't really appear to be there previously. You know, Saints have maybe looked at how well things have worked out for for Jake Vokins and, and Kane Ramsey. Um, and, you know, they've there's a player that's not long since left them that, you know, looks at their kind of progress and, and thinks, yeah, that's that's a good place for me to go. I think Malky Mackay's undoubtedly opened the Staggies kind of network up to, you know, places that it didn't really have access to before. The, you know, there are a lot of academies down south that County have taken players on loan from and it's it's something that I think they probably needed. Um, but you know, in in the long run, they'll be hoping that they can, you know, get a bit more stability in terms of, uh, you know, having players tied down on long term deals. Because as it stands just now, you know, there will be probably another rebuild of sorts coming unless they can, you know, get a number of the the players tied down on on longer term deals come the summer. Busy time, administratively for County then. Uh, Inverness, they, I think. They now have three games before their big potential championship showdown with uh, leaders. Are both are, are both still leaders? They are. I yeah. Think, at the moment, um, Cali Thistle obviously eight games without a win ahead of their weekend off last weekend. Um, but you spoke to Stephen Hislop and he was talking about how the next three games, if they can just string three wins together, by the time that our both game comes around, it is it is you know it's the biggest game of the season. It's potentially the the game that decides the title, but if they don't, you know, if they continue to slip, then by the time that Arbroath game rolls around, Arbroath could be coming in as leaders, but Cali Thistle could be coming in fighting, you know, fighting for even playoff hopes at that point. Yeah, no, absolutely. The, that Arbroath game is only as big as Cali Thistle make it in these next three games because they've got the opportunity to, uh, you know, ramp up the pressure. 
any team that puts a run together between now and, and the end of the season is, is going to be in contention because no one seems to be doing it just now um, other than our growth and look where they are. So I, th I think obviously eight without a win is far from ideal. They'll hope that the late goal that they scored um, against Partick Thistle, even though it, it was only a point that it salvaged, that maybe just gives them something to treat as some sort of turning point. Um, change the narrative a little bit and you know they look towards this next game at home to air on Saturday with that hope of of really kickstarting a, a run that they've been long waiting for. They're obviously six points back at the moment, having played a game more, so they're they're very much not, not out of it. Kilmarnock are also between Arbroath and Cali Thistle at the moment, but yeah, Wraith Park Thistle not too far behind. It looks like Morton might be a bit too far away, but yeah, but it seems like one of this a top five at the moment. Um, whoever in the next few weeks can, um, you know, has the worst run potentially is going to be the one that misses out on the misses out in the playoffs. Uh, well, there's certainly there's certainly not going to be um, much wriggle room if you know one of the current top four uh, loses form because Partick Thistle are looking pretty hot just now, and I think they've got three games in hand on Inverness and Wraith, so that's <laughs> that's certainly a team that doesn't look like it's ready to to let any poor form from those that they're chasing uh, go unpunished. Yeah, so we're feeling it's going to be between... Unless Cali Thistle can start getting their you know, their title fight in order, do you think it's potentially going to be between Cali Thistle and Wraith for who drops out of things? As it stands just now, but there is a, yeah, there's a full round of fixtures plus two yeah. games, I think, still to go. So I think there will be an emphasis on Billy Dodds just galvanising the troops at this point and... He's obviously made signings as well at the top end of the park that, you know, are still taking time to to settle into the side. Um, you know, they'll have seen in training and in the games so far little glimpses of, you know, what their strengths are. Um, Austin Samuels, Joe Hardy, Logan Chammers and uh, Sam Pearson. You know, they will have strengths that can complement the, the players that are already there. And, you know, as they come into the business end of the, the season, They'll hope that you know all four of them can have the sort of desired effect that they were brought to the club to to do. Sir Alex is up next week for his statue, so it is the time to bring out the old squeaky bum time phrase. That's where we're at <laughs> for Cali this season. Let's be honest. Yeah, right. Anyway, let's move on, shall we, to our teams in League One and League Two: Cove Rangers, Peterhead, and Elgin. Okay, we're gonna you know we're gonna man mark these three teams. Um, I'll I'll go first. Cove Rangers they go into their, another tough clash this weekend at the Balmoral Stadium. Falkirk coming to town. Falkirk bolstered by Lee Griffiths, no less. Obviously, high expectations I'm sure at the Bairns for what Lee Griffiths can do for them in League One. Currently fifth um, at the moment. Uh, Cove still leading the pack. But they're only five points clear because they've drawn three games in a row now. Sounded like a frustrating nil-nil draw against Queen's Park last weekend. Rory McAllister had the pick of the chances, but they just couldn't couldn't put a chance away against their ten-man visitors. Um, spoke to Mark Reynolds though; he wasn't too concerned. He he suggested that they've had you know their last three games have played Airdrieonians and Queen's Park, two teams that you know would have been considered title contenders. Airdrieonians are obviously second and still in the hunt, but 
you know, if you come through, if you come through games against the teams in the round, you you don't lose. You keep up your unbeaten run. You're still five clear ahead of Falkirk coming to town this weekend. It's not all bad, is it, Thursday? I don't think so. No, I, Cove, Cove are in good shape. Cove, yeah. yeah. Any other team in the league would happily swap places with Paul Hartley signed. That's the best way of putting it. Um, it's still in their hands. And if three draws in a row is a blip, then I wish. <laughs> I'm sure there's a few of that managers wishing they could have a blip of that magnitude. Yeah, and as as Matt Reynolds said, that at this time of the season, every team kind of knows what they're fighting for, and you know it's a bit easier to give that you know that real hundred percent performance if you know that you're you're battling for the playoffs, or you're battling for the title, or you're battling to avoid the relegation playoff, or to avoid automatic relegation so every week just becomes a little bit tougher and if you aren't losing games and you're still top of the league and you're you know game by game you're still picking up those points and Cove have got enough players in their squad that know how these things work because pretty much every player in their squad has won a league title or has won something like you know Reynolds he's won league titles but Shea Logan and Reynolds have also won the league cup so they know they know how to get uh, titles and silverware across the line so You'd think that, you know, I know the other teams will have experienced players as well, but you'd think that that will stand them in good stead for the rest of the season still, even though it's only five points at the moment. Uh, but yes, he also said that they'll have to be switched on because if you give somebody like Griffiths half a chance or a sniff of goal, that there tends to only be one outcome. Um, but yeah, very interesting to see how they get on against him if he plays this weekend for Falkirk from the start. Anyway, Peterhead though, what a performance from them in midweek. Well, I say in midweek, it was Monday. Um, played Dundee of the Premiership at Balmoor in the Scottish Cup. By far the better team, weren't they, Paul? And very unlucky to not have a penalty. I say unlucky, they were <laughs> robbed of a penalty in the first half. Wow. Uh, it, it's funny, I, I spoke to Jim McAnally uh, today and he's actually a little concerned about all the praise his side's getting. Um, as he said, it's a results business and the blue team are needing to get some points on the board. It's nice to get all these plaudits for how well they're playing every week, but they need points. Uh, as for Monday, they didn't deserve a 3-0 defeat to Dundee. Uh, I'm I maybe putting my neck on the line, but I don't think I am by saying, had the referee actually done his job properly and awarded what must be one of the easiest penalty decisions of the season, then who knows how that game could have gone? We could have been talking about a very, <laughs> we could have been talking about a very different outcome. That's for sure. But yeah, it's, it's Airdrie up at Balmoor on Saturday. It's a game that'll be of interest to Cove, of course. But for, from a Peterhead point of view, McInerney is actually quite pleased because Airdrie are going well, full time team, and with aspirations of their own, they're going to come up to it. Balmour looking to have a real go and I think that'll suit Peterhead. Jim McAnally is just telling his players, keep your standards up and the results will come. You kind of you want that result, don't you, that will benefit both uh, Aberdeen, well both northeast teams. Peterhead at the moment, they're, they're six points clear, a bottom side east five, but they've, they've played two games less, so you'd think, you'd think that as long as they can keep picking up regular points, they've had, I think their last five, they've had three losses and two draws, so that's not great, but if they can just you know, find a win here or there. They should be safe from that automatic relegation place. But they'll be hoping that they don't even have to contest the playoff and they can get ahead of teams like Alua, who obviously lost their manager this week. But yeah, team the team's slightly further above the Barton have looked okay in recent times. So 
Yeah. The next fortnight, the next fortnight's the big the big part for for Mark and Ali's side because they've got five games in two weeks starting on Saturday. So it's that two games in hand are going to be getting played in the next two midweeks. So we're going to have a much better picture of what is at stake and what's on offer for Peterhead, I would say, in two weeks' time. They've looked at um, I, I said this in, in the notes as well, and Jamie's talked about it often enough this season, but Peterhead in previous years, you've kind of you've kind of viewed them as a team that's got plenty of experience. You know, Jim McAnally uses his contract and uses contacts and you get all these, you, they've had all these guys that have played at the top level that are in the twi- twilight of their career coming up and playing, you know, all over the park for them. And it's all, it's all very mouse-based performances. You know, they've had Ronan Cavalser up front for so long as well. You know, but like, on, it was very noticeable on Monday, wasn't it? How, how young and energetic and, how it's they're a completely different side now. There's a lot of you know a lot of movement. There's a lot of pace in the team. They're really stretched Dundee at points. Yeah, they did. They did, and I mean, yeah, you're right. Jamie sees them more than any of us do, and he's he's made the point repeatedly that the next couple of years are looking quite bright for the blue two, and they've they've got legs there. They've got energy. They're pressing teams, putting them under pressure. Yes, they've got some older heads. Derek Lyle, for example, but he's still contributing because he's got those younger legs round about him who are able to do the all that hard yards for him. He just needs to concentrate on putting the ball in the back of the net or setting up chances for, for somebody else. They have a good blend now, I would say, of youth and experience. If they can keep these guys together, these younger boys will improve. They'll be a lot better for the experience of this season in League One. And it's just can they go and build on that? If they, if they can keep the guys together, I think they can. Yeah, Derek Lyle um, obviously wears the shirt number 99 and I just looked it up because I was curious about it and I think he made his Park Thistle debut in 1999, Derek Lyle, quite an interesting one. Um, but yeah, and all, the low knees they've got as well, Ryan Duncan, especially from the Dons, he, he's pretty impressive and I'm sure Aberdeen fans will be interested to see how, how he gets on for the rest of the season, whether he can add the goals that he wants to add to his game and, you know, is he a potential Deb- debutante for the Dons soon, we shall see Elgin though, Andy all the positivity about Cove and Peterhead, but Good Elgin, luck, Andy. Elgin, Elgin, Elgin four straight losses now they are not very far above bottom side, Cowdenbeath, the very bottom of the SPFL Um, if they lose to Cowdenbeath on Saturday, a team that has three games in hand on them also then Things are starting to look very sketchy for Elgin. We've got, yeah. Paul's just blessed himself on camera, such as Elgin's plight. But are we are we on the brink here of losing one of our one of our league teams? I mean we might gain another one given how things are going in the Highland League, but are we in the you know is this is this a real possibility now? Um I'll maybe get back to you after Saturday with that answer to be honest. Um no, I mean I spoke to Gavin Price earlier in the week and he's under no illusions at all as to how big a, a game this is. Just because of the the psychological factor, you know, that'll come from whatever the result is. Um Cowdenbeath, yes, they've got points that they still need to to claw back, but um you know, they're yeah, to to draw Elgin back into it when Elgin looked, you know, miles clear um, with three games in hand would be a, a huge boost for them. And they go into this with two wins out of their last three as well, the Blue Brazil. So there have been the the signs of a, you know, a fight back there, which we 
you know, perhaps didn't see from the likes of Brechin and Berwick Rangers in previous seasons. For Elgin, they they just they need a result by any means this weekend. It's it's one that they need to be ready for the the battling side of. They've been, you know, going behind in games really kind of early on recently, um, giving themselves too much to do. There were some dubious penalty shouts on on Saturday against Renard, which they weren't happy about. You know, the, it does seem like, you know, the luck's not going in their favour just now, but I think Gavin Price is calling for them to, to start making their, their own luck because there were a, a number of chances in the, the Annan game on Tuesday, which, um, you know, had they buried, would have given them a, uh, you know, a far better result and made the league table look a, a lot less precarious going into to this weekend's game in uh, in Fife. Yeah, just to me, the fact that they're nine points clear of Cowdenbeath at the moment, and Cowdenbeath have three games in hand, and that would work out perfectly for, you know, if results went a certain way for Cowdenbeath to end, end up three points ahead of Elgin, um, it's, it's what scares me. It's almost like fate. Fate's hand is visible in this one. Cowdenbeath uh, as well, I think, two wins in their last three games. Um, is Gavin Price under pressure here? I think if if Elgin were to go down, then there would probably be, you know, big pressure. Yeah, at, at this stage when it is still, well, a Elgin are not bottom, and b it's still in their own hands. I, I don't think he'll be under pressure as things stand just now. I don't. I can't see Elgin making, you, you know, the decision to change things when. You, you, they've still got the the opportunity to to put it right res- without relying on other results. Um, just, I mean, the complication that Elgin have in you know hiring managers is something that you know they could be not guaranteed of who they would get in. Um, and I think Gavin Price has built up enough credit in the bank over the years to to certainly you know have the opportunity to drag them out of this situation, but. Uh, yeah, come the end of the season, if you finish bottom and you go down, then I don't think any manager could be immune from, uh, you know, trouble. It's it's the ultimate hypothetical, Elgin. If if they were to drop down to the Highland League, let's say that let's say that actually came to pass, what that would mean operationally for the football club is it's massive because you think about your geographical base, the way you've got players and you have. Some guys training up north, other guys down the central belt. That all goes out the window. I would, I would think it would be for any club, any of our clubs dropping down to the Highland League would be a well. We're going to local policy again. Given what Elgin have achieved or not achieved in their move up to the SPFL, I know this is all hypothetical at the moment, but here's the hand grenade. Would Elgin not be getting? Would Elgin not have a better link to their community and have, you know? bigger crowds if they were a, a strong Highland League team full of players from from Murray rather than an SPFL team that's got, you know, the same mix as Peterhead have had in previous seasons, maybe more so, but you know that mix it's like it's like central belt players that are playing playing in the north of Scotland of the, a weekend, the, you know, and driving the, up on the Friday. They have a good identity, actually, with our local community, Elgin. Um, I don't think that would change so much, but the question you're you're phrasing is is a tough one because you're you're assuming Elgin are still a force in the Highland League if that was where they went, and I'm not yeah. sure that they have the resources to compete even locally. When you see some of the other clubs 
round about them in terms of what they can offer financially. Because Elgin would have to cut their cloth accordingly, given it's Highland League money that you're now playing for and not League Two. Yeah, I suppose you're working on the you're working on the basis that there is some inherent prestige though in being in the SBFL rather than the Highland League, because it's not like a Cove situation where being in the SBFL for them is a benefit to them and is because they are have been able to progress from League One to League. No, League Two to League One, and now potentially to probably to the Championship. So they that's continued progress. But given Elgin don't really and haven't, you know, this season certainly they haven't looked like making any upward progress, and they've yet to make any upward progress in their time in the SPFL. Like, wouldn't it just be as well being in the Highland League, really, or is it like is it so valuable to be an SPFL club rather than a Highland League club? I think the the Elgin story was a little bit different because. You know, when they went up, there wasn't that feeling that they were going to immediately going to be looking at the next level uh, in the same way as Cove and Kelty have been. I think there was always a realisation that there had to be a, a consolidation period in, in League Two. Um, and it was a long one, don't get me wrong. They flirted with the, the, the bottom end of that table for a, a long time before the threat of relegation was there. Um, and it's only really, I suppose, in the last maybe 12 maybe 15 years that they've, you know, started to, to challenge at the, at the at the top since the advent of the the playoffs. They've been in and around there a, a few times, um, never really, you know, pushing for title contention as such, but there certainly is that appetite for, for League One football and, you know, that would be a slow next step for them. But, yeah, I suppose where, where you can't, uh, you know, get too comfortable is the fact that you're only one season as they found away from you know potentially uh being in a situation where they could lose their status but as i say there's uh <laughs> there's a lot that uh, you know this this could be a different conversation if they do manage to get the the result at uh, central park on saturday so we'll uh yeah. we'll give them the benefit of the doubt for now hopefully we're not doing the woe is me edition in, uh, yeah. <laughs> in me <laughs> well that well that's slow uh Slow journey to League One could be about to get a lot slower, depending on how things go in the coming weeks. However, we will make this the episode of Northern Goal, as we do every season, where we declare officially that Elgin are not going to win League Two. Um, and I know we've been talking about the playoffs, but let's be honest, I think that's gone as well. Anyway, that is this week's episode of Northern Goal. Uh, thanks to Paul and Andy for, for joining me today. Cheers, guys. You're welcome. Cheers. Um, if you've enjoyed listening to this or it's just made you sad feel free to email us get in touch uh, northerngoal at dctmedia.co.uk you can like and subscribe in your favourite podcast app and finally enjoy the football whichever games you're watching this week cheers hope you loved the episode and if you did we'd be grateful if you could leave us a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts And don't forget to pick up your copies of the Press and Journal and Evening Express every day for the best football writing and analysis in the North.